Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today's show is sponsored by Social Media Success Summit 2015. I'll share more about this online event later on in today's show. And if you can't tell, I've got a little bit of a cold, so I apologize um, for that. But I'm super excited about today's show. I'm going to be joined by David H. Lawrence the 17th. And you may know him as the evil puppet master from the TV show Heroes. And we're going to talk about how to find your spoken voice. And if you talk on podcasts or on video or on Meerkat or on Periscope or in any kind of an environment where you have an audience, you're going to love this show. By the way, my email is podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. It goes right to my inbox. So if you have anything you want to share with me, email me directly. But first, before we get to that interview, let me talk about this week's brand new discovery. After mediating a crocodile family dispute, look at what Michael Stelzner discovered. A lot of people have asked me, hey, what is that social sharing bar that you use on Social Media Examiner? And if you've been to our site, you'll notice there's something really cool on there. And let me tell you what's special about it. First of all, like most social share bars, it shows you the aggregate number of shares for an article on Facebook and Twitter and all the other major social networks. And then it aggregates the total number at the very top. Now, for the longest time, I was opposed to using a social share system that aggregates the entire number at the top. But when I actually started using it, I was like, wow, we actually have a lot of shares on Social Media Examiner. And I thought to myself, the social proof of having that aggregate number is actually pretty powerful. Now, there's lots of tools out there that do this. For example, Flare is one of them, and there's many others. But the one that I use is um, really awesome, and it's called Sumo Me. And what's special about this particular plugin for WordPress is that it's mobile optimized in a really cool way. So what I mean by that is you can, first of all, on a desktop, have this thing appear and float on the side of the screen. But on a mobile device, it appears on the bottom of the screen, and it's persistent, and it's there all the time. And this was kind of the deal, you know, um, this was the deal killer, if you will, or this was, the, this was the reason why I decided to use this plugin, because I knew that a lot more people were using our site on mobile, and I wanted to make it very easy for them to share. So having these social share buttons there on your, on your mobile phone, as you're reading our articles, is extremely powerful. So I uh, discovered this app, I installed it on the website, and Noah Kagan, who's a friend of mine who runs uh, the app and actually is behind AppSumo, which is a site you may have heard of before, reached out to me and said, hey, that's really cool that you're using my plugin. And I just started an email dialogue with him and I said, it would be really cool if it did this. And it would be really cool if it did this. And it would be really cool if it did this. And before you know it, He's custom designing uh, advanced features for this plugin based on my recommendations. 
And those features are now part of his pro package. Now, I don't have to pay for his pro package because I suggested all these features and he gave it to me. Um, but I'm not, you know, compensated or anything by recommending his app. I, I use it because I love it. So, um, it's a free app and the paid app has a couple features that I think you might be interested in. So first of all, with the pro version of their app, they provide UTM tracking. Now UTM tracking is uh, a Google, uh, function where you can add some characters to the end of any particular URL so that Google knows the source of the traffic. And what UTM tracking allows us to do is it allows us to measure the impact that organic sharing using Sumo Me is having on our website. So said another way, we can see over any period of time all the inbound traffic that is a direct result of the Sumo Me plugin. But we can go beyond that. We cannot just see the traffic, but we can see what percentage of that traffic is converting on the metrics that we care about. For example, signing up for our newsletter. And it turns out that once uh, they were able to add the UTM tracking, I was able to determine that our highest converting traffic was coming from the Sumo Me share buttons. Now, logically, this makes sense, right? Because when people read content and then they share it out to their friends, that comes as, as a <coughs> recommended endorsement. But what's really cool is because of this UTM tracking, I can actually quantify that in a really very cool way. Uh, in addition, another cool feature is they've got some mobile-only plugins, for example, WhatsApp, SMS messaging, and with the Pro version, it's set up so that they only appear if you're on a mobile device, where with the non-Pro app, they can appear, but they'll appear on a desktop uh, device as well, and of course, that's no use at all. They also provide really detailed sharing data, and you can see over periods of time for example, whether or not you have had more people sharing using Facebook, Twitter, and so on and so forth. So the sharing data provides really interesting insights. Now, these are all part of the quote-unquote pro package, which is $20 a month. The free package is, of course, free. So check it out at sumome.com, and I'm sure you'll love it. I know lots of people have started using it. And with that, I've got something else I'd like to share with you. Want to improve your social media marketing? Need to prove your efforts are working? Join 4,000 fellow marketers at the online mega conference designed to inspire and empower you. Social Media Success Summit 2015. Brought to you by Social Media Examiner. Discover the best and newest ways to market your business on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Google+, YouTube, Instagram, and Pinterest. Find new ways to improve your content and measure your results all from the comfort of your office chair. You'll be led by dozens of top social media pros, including Mari Smith, Mark Schaefer, Amy Porterfield, Christopher Penn, and Michael Stelzner. Register now for Social Media Success Summit. Discount tickets are limited. Visit smss15.com to secure your ticket today. Let's hear from one of the presenters what they're going to be talking about. 
Hey guys, my name is Tim Schmoyer from youtube.com slash video creators, and I am really excited to join you for the Social Media Success Summit coming up. We are gonna talk all about how to optimize your YouTube videos for search. How do you get people to discover your videos after you've created them, published them to YouTube? What types of things does YouTube look for? What types of things should be a part of your content? So we're gonna look into all that in depth coming up. I'm really excited to see you guys there. Come hang out with me for my session on optimizing your videos for YouTube. Well, Tim is just one of 36 sessions that we're going to be having at Social Media Success Summit. And here's what other people are saying who recently signed up. Quote, this is my third year attending Social Media Success Summit and I cannot wait for October to get here. There's so much great information that you receive and no matter your social media marketing skill level, you get new information to you, said Marty Rosen. Another one, I've attended just about every Social Media Success Summit event and had the opportunity to go to Social Media Marketing World earlier this year. I absolutely love Social Media Examiner and the high quality content that is produced every day. Can't wait to learn even more, said Jason Goff. Well, this is our seventh annual online conference. Check it out for yourself, smss15.com, and we've got some pretty significant discounts that are ending soon. SMSS. 15.com. I hope to see you there. And with that, let's transition to today's awesome interview. Helping you simplify your social safari. Here's this week's expert guide. I'm very excited to be joined today by David H. Lawrence, the 17th. If you don't know. Nicely who... done. <laughs> Thank you. And if you don't know who David is, you might recognize him as the evil puppet master in the hero TV show. What years were, were you on that show, David? Uh, 2008 through the end of the series, which was 2011 or so. I mean, it depends on when you're asking whether it, when it aired or when we produced it. We produced it about, you know, anywhere from three to eight months ahead of when it actually aired on NBC here in the States and on the BBC and other networks worldwide. So, yeah. Very cool. And David, you've been in radio forever, probably at least 30 years. You, your voice and, and you have been in movies you're actually the uh, customer service voice for America Online, and you've got a lot of great things that we're going to talk about today. So first of all, thank you for joining me. I really sure. appreciate it. My pleasure. So um, for everybody listening, this is going to be a little uh, different podcast because one of the things that I really like about David is he's just got this incredible experience helping people find their voice. And that's what we're going to talk about today because whether you're a podcaster or you're making videos professionally or even if you're just doing a meerkat or periscope on your smartphone. I think the voice side of things is something that most people probably don't think enough about. But before we get into it, David, I want to start with your story. Um, how in the world did you get into, I'm assuming radio was where it started. Um, how did you get into using your voice? Wow. So I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and I grew up listening to both local radio and uh, radio nearby, like CKLW in Windsor and WABC 77 in New York with the little transistor radio shoved under my pillow. Mm. Uh, sometimes not quiet enough for my mom not to storm into the room and say, turn that off. But I, I just fell in love with the idea that one person could sit in a room and talk to millions of people uh, and make it feel as though you're the only one they were talking to. 
And so I, I fell in love with that. I fell in love with technology. I mean, it, it, all my life I've been, you know, thinking about how technology works, how technology is used in various ways. And it seems as though that thread has run through everything that I do. But the first time, uh, I, I remember very distinctly the first time that I was on the air on a commercial radio station. So I guess that counts. I mean, there've been other times when I'd been working in a nightclub as a DJ, as a teenager, but the very first big station I worked at was WNCI in Columbus, Ohio. And I remember the very first words I said were coming out of Barracuda by heart. Do you remember that song? Oh, yeah, totally. So it ends with a five stanza cold ending. And at the very end, this was in the, the, uh, the, uh, the big bit going on on Saturday Night Live that week, that, that month was Landshark, Candy Graham. So I came out of it with Landshark, Candy Graham. And boom, into the jingle and off to my career, I was, I was headed. And it was just, I really was excited about being on the air. And, and it certainly helped me to realize that I had something that I could offer uh, as, as a voice person. So you started as kind of a disc jockey then is what I hear you say. Yeah, exactly. Actually, the very first thing I did at the radio station was babysit the, the, the religious recordings early on Sunday morning. Ah. I wasn't allowed to crack the mic. I was only allowed to play things that had been pre-recorded. And then finally they gave me a shot at subbing for the overnight guy on a Tuesday when they figure, well, nobody will be listening. If he screws up too bad, it won't hurt our ratings. And I moved from that to weekends on the overnights, then nights on the overnights, uh, doing a disco show, and then overnights during the week, and then afternoon drive, and then mornings. And at that point, I decided after a year of that, uh, I was going to quit school. So I never finished college. I, I was doing what I wanted to do. I was making about, I don't know, six times what I thought I'd make when I graduated three years later. And so you know, the weather was horrible in Columbus and I decided I didn't want to wend my way down 71 to go to a class at 11 in the morning that I really didn't care about. I think it was Psych 202 or something like that. And so instead I drove to the admin building and withdrew and never looked back. Huh. Where um, did you eventually end up having, I mean, w w take us further along the journey. I mean, how did you go from a disc jockey you know, um, and uh, a personality. It sounds like to ultimately doing some of the some of the more exciting things um, that you've had a chance to do. Uh, what so was the, the you're next saying step? that being a disc jockey is not exciting? Is that what? <laughs> no, you're no, 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 no. That's what you're saying. That's no, what, what I'm, I'm saying is. Um, I think being I on TV is pretty exciting. So the things that are more more uh, uh, the public might be more aware of, or the yeah, national, exactly. national audience might be more aware. So, yeah. yeah um, you know, I was a DJ for about 12, 13 years. Uh, then my radio station flipped format, the one that I was working at at the time. And I had the opportunity to move over to talk. And I really found my stride there. And then I ended up going into uh, syndicated radio where I owned my shows. I was on XM and Sirius. I had an entire channel for about a year to myself. Wow. What were you talking uh, I was on about? CNET radio. I don't know if you remember CNET radio. Oh, yeah. What were you talking yeah. about? So, yeah. What? what? What was your topic? What was your like thing? Uh, well, it started as technology and then it moved to entertainment and technology because that's really what I wanted to talk about. Mm. And so that, uh, I, I finally, you know, pride myself out of what has become just a cesspool of a business syndicated radio, unless you're owned by one of the big three group owners, you're not going to find any stations that will take your show, um, because you're not owned by their company and they have plenty of content that they can roll, uh, with their, their people. So, um, in 2007, I made the decision that radio was great. Uh, it had its day, and I was done with it. And 
I was moving on to doing on camera and, um, and that sort of thing, period. And, you know, I would go for auditions and I'd be like, oh, if I get this, then I have to do a best of. And if I do a best of, then XM is going to get upset. And, um, so I was kind of using it as an, as an excuse. And there's a phrase that I like to uh, follow called leap and the net will appear. Hmm. And uh, I just leapt. I mean, I had, to be fair, I had a net all rolled up ra- waiting to be unfurled because I had a, a war chest of money and I, I, you know, I knew what I was doing. I'd been training for on camera work for the past, for the previous five years. You know, I, I tell people often I use the Abraham Lincoln method. Uh, to learn how to be an on-camera actor. Uh, Abraham Lincoln once said that if I had an hour to chop down a tree, I'd spend the first 45 minutes sharpening the ax. So before I ever did anything in on-camera work, I learned how the business worked. I learned who actually were the gatekeepers, who were the the people who could greenlight projects, and who were the people that had kind of a false sense of power that really, you know, were part of the process, but weren't really the people that you needed to convince you were the right person for the job. And so that knowledge was really helpful when I went into actually starting to audition and I booked heroes within six months of starting the full-on audition process, which is a lot faster than a lot of actors. Uh, you know, Samuel L. Jackson once said, I spent 15 years becoming an overnight success. You were pretty much one of the key bad guys. <laughs> I was. I was. I was and a really were, bad guy. You were excellent. And, but uh, I was huggable. That was what I think, you know, I was only supposed to do one episode of that show. Obviously, you did a great job and they wanted you to keep. Well, yeah. And I was so stupid. They brought me the new sides for the day that I was supposed to get shot and killed. Um, for those of you that watched Heroes, the episode where I have uh, the cheerleader and her two moms, her, nat- her, regu- her natural mom and her, her stepmom playing Russian roulette. The end of that scene was supposed to be Claire, the cheerleader, picking up the gun behind me and blowing my head off because that season was called Heroes Villains and they were discovering and dispatching each episode with a new villain. Mine was supposed to be dispatched just like all the other ones were, except after about six hours of uh, of shooting the first day, the writers and the executive producer, which who were on set, we were on location, disappeared. They went back to the studio and to the writing room, and they came back about six hours later. And uh, I was, they were waiting to what, do what's called turning around, where you're basically shooting the same scene from the opposite direction to get the other actor. Mm. And during that moment, the executive producer walks up to me, uh, who's now in charge, by the way, of worldwide television for Marvel. So this is wow. this is what you want to do. You want to do a really good job for somebody so that you stay in touch with them and you can you know be a part of their lives as things move on. But he said, David, we need to talk. Come here. Now, that, that phrase is not the phrase that you want to hear on the first day of your first job where you're not quite sure. You think you're doing the right thing, but you're not quite sure. And, you know, because it could be like, you know, thank you, but we found somebody who actually knows what they're doing. Um, But instead, he took me into this little side room and he said, we have some new sides for you for Wednesday. So I'm reading through them. I'm reading through them. They're exactly the same as my old sides up until the point where I'm supposed to get shot. And instead, she picks up a chair leg and whacks me over the head and then I get sent back to prison. And, you know, I'm new at this. So I blurt out, wait a minute. I rehearsed my death scene all weekend. I'm not going to be able to do that. (laughs) You know, so finally it dawned on me. He goes, do you want to die? Because we've talked to your agent. You're in the next eight episodes. And I'm like, oh, 
oh, well, in that case, I wasn't doing all that well with the death scene anyway. So let's just move on to the next version. That so that's how fun. that happened. And, you know, part of that was knowing where to be on set, where to position myself, how to ask the right questions of the right members of the crew. And that was from not only the work that I did volunteering and networking and just being in the room and listening and seeing how the sausage is made, but also by reading a book called Secrets of Screen Acting, hmm. which was just amazing. And I just got finished voicing the audiobook version of that. So yeah, so that's Very how cool. that all happened. Well, and fast forward into today, uh, you have, you now have, uh, you teach people voiceover courses, right? And it's mm-hmm. VO2GoGo, is, is it.com? Yeah. And you also have uh, this thing called Rehearsal App. Explain just real briefly what that app is. So when I was working on Heroes, I uh, was sitting in my agent's office on a Monday. I was working on Heroes the next day. We were shooting a, a scene. And while I was sitting in my agent's office on that Monday, a phone call came in for me to come in for an audition for another show on NBC called Community. And they wanted me to come in the next day. And my agent said, well, he's working the next day. Can he come in on Wednesday? And they're like, no, we're going to make our decision by then. So listen, have him come down today. So this is 3.30 in the afternoon. Have him look at the sides, come down today. We'll put him on tape and then we'll send him right to producers because he's already part of the NBC family. So, uh, okay, three, four, five page scene I have to learn on my way down the 101 from Studio City to Paramount, which is maybe 20 minutes, half an hour in, in rush hour. And so my usual way of doing this was to record in my studio, if I had plenty of time, record like this, my lines and my scene partner's lines in order. I would record my lines softer so that I could pick them up as I was listening, but I could speak over them once I knew them. And then I would take that that sound and put it in iTunes and just put it on repeat and keep repeating it until I learned my lines. It's a pretty standard way that actors learn their lines. So all I had at my agent's office was my iPhone with voice memo, which was a built-in app that did not have a repeat function. So all the way down the 101, I'm like searching for the soft play button once it's finished to restart it so that I can, you know, get the lines down. Uh, Dangerous enough to be on the 101, let alone like looking at your smartphone and trying to figure out where the play button is. So I get to Paramount and I'm driving onto the lot and I get a phone call from my agent saying, ah, you know what? okay. They wrote the part out. So you don't have to worry about it. And the the guard at the gate was saying the same thing to me as my agent was. So I turned around and rather than being upset or, or disappointed, I was like, great, I'm going to go find an app that lets me learn my lines in case this ever happens again. And there wasn't anything that worked the way we as professional actors in Los Angeles, New York, and the other production centers around the world work. All these other apps that were available or supposedly available for actors to use were the creations of some development team that thought they knew how actors worked and thought they were being helpful in the way they had the the app set up. But I just decided I was going to, I was going to figure out a, uh, a a way to, to do an app that basically did what we do in the real world. And so three months later I was in the app store. I found a developer to work with me who happened to be a heroes fan. And I did a royalty share with him or a, a, you know, a revenue share and we were up and running and off to the races. Very cool. Congratulations on that. So, Thank you. So today you're teaching uh, voiceover work. You've got this rehearsal app that is used mm-hmm. by tens of thousands of people all over the world. Yep. And you've got all this experience, which is perfect set up for, for now, you know, 30 plus years of experience or whatever you happen to have. Now let's talk about voice. 
So many people, I would imagine, you know, you've, one thing that I've learned from you through this dialogue is that you do a lot of work in in preparation for whatever you're going to do. A lot of people today, especially with social media and everything else, just are taught to just turn on the camera and just talk or, Mm -hmm. or, or don't prepare at all and just show up and talk. And maybe there's something to that. Maybe there isn't something to that, but I guess let's just start with how do we find our voice? I mean, Let's just start there. Like uh, someone listening right now really probably wants to be a podcaster or wants to do more videos, but they just feel totally uncomfortable and feel like they need to be very scripted, you know, because that's what they see on television. So what advice would you give? It's what they see on television. And it's also what some people are running around the world teaching people how to be podcasters. Um, I think that I had a distinct advantage in that, um, you know, very early on, uh, the world of broadcasting had, you know, given me some tools and some techniques and some uh, talent to do podcasting. And it was kind of overkill because podcasting was a much simpler form of doing exactly what I would do every day with my talk show. In fact, I would have podcasters on my show. And at the end of the hour, you know, they'd be exhausted and I'd be exhausted and they'd be like, so what are you going to do for the rest of the night? And I'm like, another two hours of this. And again tomorrow, and again tomorrow. So when you go back to your podcaster lair and you're like, oh my God, I do a 30-minute podcast every week and it kills me, maybe you're doing the, the wrong kind of work. Maybe you're doing stuff that you think you should be doing or that people have told you sh- you should be doing, but you're just you're, you're doing way too much. And the natural authentic voice that we have is the voice that we have when we're doing this kind of conversation. Right. It's not the voice we have when we say, and now the social media podcast, you know, you, that's, that's not the voice that we use. I mean, that's the voice that announcers use to do bumpers, but that's not the voice that we use. And I hear podcasters doing it all the time, you know, this uh, sort of rote, loud, uh, announcery kind of thing. And I just want to take them and pull them back and go, just be yourself. Just be the guy that's st- sitting at a restaurant over a meal talking about something and enjoying life and having fun and a glass of wine. You know, that voice is the voice that is going to be the most effective, the most authentic, and the most profitable for you if you decide to make this a career. So the voice that you already have, the voice that you use with your spouse and your kids and your friends, that's the voice that you should start with. So you've already found your voice. You just have to listen to yourself. And when you listen to yourself the first time, be ready to hate your voice. Mm. And there's a reason for that. Would you like to know what that is? Yeah, please. So when you record yourself, you when, when you speak normally, when you're talking to somebody, as you speak to me, you're hearing your voice two different ways at the same time, slightly one slightly behind the other, or what's called out of phase. So you're listening to your voice convectively, so the voice that comes out your mouth through the air, bounces off the walls and the furniture and back into your ear, that's convectively or through the air, just the same as you would say a convective oven is with hot air. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you're also listening at the same time conductively through the bones and the muscles of your neck and your head and your ear, and that sound travels slower than convective, conductives travel slower than convective, and it's much bassier. There's no treble to it. It's such a, it's a muffled bassy sound. You can hear it if you cover your ears and talk. You've heard yourself. You don't sound like you have any mid-range or treble in that. That's because all you're hearing is the conductive version of your voice. When you combine the two of them, that's the voice that you're used to hearing your entire life. When you record yourself, on the other hand, and you play it back, 
you're only hearing the convective version of your voice, which sounds a lot tinnier and a lot more mid-range and high-end than what you're used to. And so you instantly, instead of saying, oh, it's because there's none of that bassy, muffly, conductive version of my voice, you think, there's something wrong with this tape recorder. I sound like Mickey Mouse. This is horrible. (laughs) And that's why we hate our voice when we first hear it recorded. After a while you get used to the fact, especially when you're speaking at the same time that you're listening. So I'm hoping that you're wearing headphones right now. Great. So you can hear yourself and you can monitor yourself and you can say, oh, I just dropped my phone and it made a sound on the microphone. You wouldn't hear that if you weren't wearing your headphones and you could hear what the result was. So finding your voice in that way means getting used to how you sound convectively and not worrying that other people are going, ah, that's the most horrible voice ever. You don't see people saying that when you talk. And it's because they are used to hearing you convectively only. So understand that's how you find your voice. But I think there's a bigger question there. And that is, how do you find that which excites your passion and you're authentic about and you want to do over and over and over again, like you with social media, me with performance arts and technology, Uh, grammar girl with grammar, whatever it is that floats your boat and finding your voice in that way is something that I think requires peeling things away rather than adding things to. Uh, Expand on that. What do you mean by that? So just getting to the, the basics of how you talk to other people. It's a really hard concept for both what I call civilians and professional voiceover people to understand But the voice that you use every day, the way you speak, the way you present your words, the vocabulary that you use, everything that you do on a normal conversational level, not on a, I'm in front of a microphone now, I have to, I have to be much better than I am normally. That, that voice is the voice that is gold. That voice is the voice that is going to make you money. So the idea that you have to go and get training in how to be better and have a warm up. I people write me all the time and they go, "So, you have this great voice, you do these great things. How do you warm up every day? What's your routine?" And they hate it when I write back and I go, "I wake up and I go <clears throat> and then I start working. I don't have a a, a warm up routine. I don't have exercises, you know. I, I hear people getting ready to go in for voice work and they're going, "Me me 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 you know, it's like, "Really?" <laughs> I mean, is it really, do you do that before you start talking to your family it, or you pick up the phone to call, you know, the, the restaurant to make a reservation? Do you do all that before you, no, here's the thing. We, in, in, an, in an absence of the true, the true facts around something, vacuums are created and then what we think might be appropriate get pushed into those vacuums, Right. I'll talk to people about the world of acting and they'll say, oh, casting directors, you know, they're like the ones that cast shows. And that's not true. Casting directors find people to present to the people who actually make the final decisions on casting shows. Those are the writers and the producers. And certainly they're part of the uh, part of the, uh, the process, but they are not the people that make the final decision. That doesn't make them any less important. They're very important because they spend all their day saying no to people. So when you present that to somebody, they're like, but that's not what I thought would be the truth. You know, there's all kinds of that that goes on in our world. And once you find out that, look, just saying, hey, how's it going, gets you going and you can start working, 
your voice, whether you do a warm-up exercise or not, is going to sound different in the morning than it is in midday and than it is in the afternoon or at night. So just know that and go with it. Yeah, I record these podcasts always in the afternoon, but mm-hmm. I tend to record the uh, the intros and outros in the mornings because I seem mm-hmm. to have a different energy and cadence in the morning. And a different pitch because your vocal cords have been resting all night. They haven't been... Uh, exercise, they haven't been fluttering. Uh, there's mucus that's collected because of nasal drip. There's there's uh, saliva that's run down your throat. If you have slow, uh, sleep apnea, the CPAP machine's been running air down your throat and it's probably dry. There's all kinds of things that affect how you sound in the morning. Mm. And the best way to get out of that is just start talking. I want to go back to something you said earlier, which is be yourself and I'm wondering whether it makes sense for somebody who maybe feels uncomfortable with not having the right skills to wire them up themselves up for like a few hours when they get home from work and they're with the family or whatever and just record the whole, all the conversations they're having at the dinner table and then listen back to the way they sound when they're totally relaxed. Because my guess is they're going to be, I don't know, more interesting more willing to accept the fact that not everything that comes out of their mouth <laughs> is perfect and they probably have lots of ums and ahs. I mean, those things are kind of okay, right? I mean, they're absolutely okay. To me, the ums, the ahs, the you knows, the so's, the California so is, is one of the most common things that oh I hear people gosh. doing out here. So, yeah, um, you know, that's just a moment that you need to think. Yeah, exactly. And I understand that some people need those what are called vocalized bridges to get from one point to another. When you start to lose those, you become much more interesting. Part of what we're dealing with is we're afraid that if we don't say something that keeps our place in the conversation back and forth, that the person is going to do what I see happening a lot at Hollywood parties. They're going to start looking over my shoulder for somebody who's more interesting if I don't maintain their attention. The truth of the matter is, because so many people do that, almost everybody, if you actually just pause and insert silence rather than um or like or you know, all of a sudden people don't, they're not used to that. (laughs) And they lean forward and they go, is everything okay? Did you just have an aneurysm? What's going on there? So having that skill is something that requires an active change in the the way you speak. There are some people who are not comfortable around their friends, especially millennials and younger, without using what's called vocal fry. Hey, so yeah, um, yeah, I uh, I love that. What up, dude? So good, yeah. Yeah. But it's not the what up, dude guy. What up, dude? You know, it's not that guy. It's the the back of the throat. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I love that, yeah. And men and women do the vocal fry. Kim Kardashian is probably the best known person who speaks with a vocal fry. But there are others who are just crazy vocal frying all over the place. I have a couple of clients who I'm helping unlearn this social approach to speaking because everybody does it and you seem to be cooler when you do it. I don't find that that's actually the case. I find that when you can express yourself and you can do so from a position of strength in vocabulary and strength in presentation and a natural sense of this is where the conversation is going and I'm going to help us get there, as opposed to stringing people along with vocal bridges, you're a lot better off. The idea of recording yourself as you're speaking naturally might work for a lot of people. 
in my case, what I tell people to do is never read from a piece of paper or a screen when you're doing any sort of work like this. Have bullet points that you can refer back to, maybe a list of things that you want to accomplish. Uh, yeah, that's all I can really think of. Well, this is good. I mean, and this does bring up a conversation that you and I had before we recorded this podcast interview. I had sent you some questions in advance and we had a nice conversation. And I think it brings up the concept that I call of like being extemporaneous is, you know, I have a master's in speech and one of the things so many people get wrong is they write out something in detail that they're going to read and then they trip up when they're reading it. And I totally redid most of my questions after I spoke to you yesterday because it does really make it very hard because when you are in the middle of, a, of an intense conversation, trying to read something that doesn't necessarily make any sense when you're actually reading it live just totally messes you up, right? So what tips, can. Do, what tips would you give to someone who maybe hasn't done a lot of interviews? Uh, should they just come up with just a couple of words and then in their, use that as a mental cue to get them to ask the kind of question that they, whatever comes to their brain? Well, the first thing that you want to think about when you're doing interviewing, and this applies whether you are interviewing somebody for a podcast or, oddly enough, you're speaking to somebody with a marketing video. You know, I'm a big uh, fan of Jeff Walker and Product Launch Formula and uh, the, the, the pre-launch videos that you would create for that or the marketing videos that you might create for a sales funnel. These are all opportunities for you to speak extemporaneously or contemporaneously, and you can make people very aware of your personality as opposed to your ability to read words on a page. There have been people who have decided that the only way they can get through a process like that is to script it out and put it on a teleprompter. Mm -hmm. And the problem with the teleprompter, if you don't know how to use it properly, is you look shifty. Because your eyes keep moving from left to right as though you're, you're, you're going back and forth watching a tennis match in, an, in the distance. And that can be a problem because people start watching that rather than listening to what you're saying. When it comes to a podcast, I did three hours worth of radio every day for almost 35 years, sometimes four when I was doing a morning show. Um, and then I would, in the latter days, probably the last decade or so, beginning in the mid-90s, I was one of the very first people to do podcasts, I would do another 10 or 15 minutes of not-safe-for-work stuff that people could get. Long before Oprah was doing after the show, I was doing after the show. So you, at that point, all of a sudden become uh, more available to the audience because you can be more of yourself. If you're on broadcast radio, you have certain standards that you have to adhere to in terms of the content, also depending upon what time of day. And if it's network, since you don't know when it's going to be listened to, you have to assume that it's always listened to when kids are awake. So you have to change that. Right. I think that the idea that you are able to just speak from the heart is both useful and terrifying. People don't realize this very simple fact, and that is, and this is a phrase that I used just today with a client, you are enough. I know it's hard for you to understand that, but it's the truth. You are enough. What you need is already inside you and will present itself at the moment you need it. 
We've all heard stories of people who have said in athletic competitions, I don't know where that strength reserve came from, but I was able to push through the last, you know, 100 yards and I won, right? It's because you have exactly what you need. If you need something else, you'll go get it. But what you don't need is artifice. What you don't need is somebody else. What you need is you, the authentic you. Bring you to the party because that's what makes you fascinating. You speaking about what you're interested in is fascinating. I've had people say, you know, I don't understand a whit about USB cables and cords and and tracks and heads and hard disks crashing. But you love what you do so much, I can't help but listen to you. You're so enthusiastic about what you do. And when I talk these days about acting and voiceover and uh, technology and internet marketing and social media, it's the same thing. When I'm talking at an event, I can see that people are connected because I am connected with what I'm doing. If you think that doing a podcast for the money is the right way to do it, you are so wrong. Well, uh, this is really a perfect transition to my next question, which is, when the video camera is on, and I'm not talking about Hollywood, I'm talking about, you know, I'm talking about uh, whatever kind of video, you know, your iPhone. Um, there are a lot of, people can talk into a microphone, and that's one thing, but to talk and to see your face <laughs> while you're recording is a totally different thing. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Can I give people a real quick tip? Yeah, let's hear that. Stop looking at yourselves and start looking at the camera. That's really, really good. Why is that so important? Well, because, I mean, you see people doing it all the time. They'll be doing an interview. Maybe you do a video interview with somebody, and they're looking at the person interviewing them on their screen, which, you know, it's a natural thing to do. I get that. You want to look at the other person. But the truth is, if you're on camera, you're on camera. So instead, look at that little dot next to the green light or the red light on your on your your laptop, that's what you're supposed to be. That's where you put your attention. I know it's weird, but you can see the other person out of the corner of your eye. You want to, and you not only want to look at that camera, but you want to look at the back plane of that camera so that your eyes are in perfect focus when people want to watch you. When people watch you, they don't see you looking off into the distance or looking a little cross-eyed because you're looking at the surface of where the So when you say back plane, what do you mean? A couple inches behind where the Not a couple of inches. In the case of, well, it depends on the camera. If the camera is a long body camera, then yeah, wherever the collector device is, the CCD, that's where you want to focus. So you don't want to focus- What if it's like an iMac or something, you know, would it just be right there at the little camera? On a laptop, it would be just like a quarter of an inch, however thick the the, the LED gotcha. screen is, just a little bit behind that. Well, and you know what's really cool about that is when you look at the camera and you smile, for people watching the video, it looks like you're looking dire- looks like you're looking directly at them. Absolutely, and, and they're going to be more engaged, right? Absolutely. And you can also cheat because all of performance, whether you'd like to know this or not is one big fake cheat lie theft of reality. (laughs) When I'm the creepy evil puppet master, I'm just playing a role. I'm faking being, you know, and it's hard for, if you do your job correctly, you will make people do strange things. I was at Dragon Con in Atlanta. I do a lot of 
conventions because once you're on a show like Euros, you could spend the rest of your life at conventions signing autographs for money. And it's a lot of fun and it's a great way to meet, uh, great way to travel, great way to meet fans. I was at Dragon Con, which is one of the biggest cons conventions in the like world. A, like a Comic Con kind of thing? Yeah, it's like Comic Con, exactly. And a guy comes up to me and he goes, uh, yeah, I'd like to buy a, uh, an autograph. Uh, that picture sounds good. Can you make it out to Susan? And I'm like, Susan, you don't look like a Susan, sir. No, Susan's my wife. She just, she's over there behind the pole. She won't come over here because she says you're too creepy. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm, do, do I appear to be creepy to you, sir? I'm not. Have her come over. No, she won't come over. And if you do your job right, they can't separate you from your, 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 your uh, character. Um, but it's all a fake. And say we were recording this on Skype and you went to your recording uh uh, preferences and you chose side by side rather than picture in picture, right? Right. So if I know that and I'm the person that's being called, then I'll be on the right-hand side of the screen. So if I want to cheat a little bit, I'll look over to the right at you and go, what are you talking about? You know, and occasionally I'll look at the camera most of the time, but then well, there will be- Kind of a Brady Bunch move, huh? Exactly. A Brady Bunch move. Exactly. So you can, once you know how to, and, and again, this book, Secrets of Screen Acting, I can't recommend it highly enough. For those of you that want to know about all this stuff, secretsofscreenacting.com, go check it out. It's awesome. When you have all of these things, you can start to use the medium to your advantage. And part of that is knowing that you don't want to keep your eyes on the camera the whole time. That's there's a phrase for it that I don't think we can say on this podcast because this podcast is safe for work, but it's eye effing, right? When you when you absolutely maintain locked contact. Oh, I see what you're saying. Gotcha. The camera all the time. It's like you have no break. Where, where do you throw your eyes then? What do you do? Wherever you like. The way you would normally oh, throw like your roll, eyes, like when roll you're them up, roll them up and think or something. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. If you taken any NLP, do you know about eye accesses? Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. Okay, so when we think about things that have occurred in the past, we often tend to look up and to our left because our timelines in the Western culture and around the world are left to right. And so if we think, if I ask you, think about your uh, childhood home and you just do that, you'll find yourself looking up and to the left. If I ask you, so what are you doing next week? You may find yourself looking up and to the right. Very intriguing. So people think about things by moving their eyes off of the object to which they've been paying attention. And so naturally doing that or closing your eyes briefly while you're thinking about something or looking up to the skies for help or uh, staring at somebody over your glasses. There's a million different things that you can do. Or just using your hands, right? I mean, that's- Yeah, using your hands, absolutely. Cheating your hands up into frame, by the way. If you're using your hands and they're out of frame, that's a, that's a big mistake. Nobody's going to see it. Mm. So that's why you'll see sometimes somebody holding a cup on what's a medium shot. Say they're holding a cup of coffee on a medium shot and they have it down around chest level, but on a close up, they bring it up to their neck and you see the cup again. Otherwise you don't see what they're doing with the cup. Ah, very interesting. And all of this stuff is what you learn when you learn the technical side of acting and no acting school that I'm aware of teaches that stuff. They teach scene study and they teach Shakespeare and they teach prior moments and sense memory and, you know, obstacle overcoming obstacles and all this stuff about acting, but they don't teach you the basic technique of working with a camera and knowing some of these things, even if you're not going to be a theatrical actor, a dramatic actor or a comedic actor, 
just knowing these things when you're preparing, if you're listening to this and you're a marketer, you're an internet marketer, and you're going to do uh, videos where you're going to be up against a white screen or a green screen, knowing how to present yourself in front of the camera is huge. Uh, Jeff Walker, I've, I've uh, been on stage a couple times at his PLF Live talking about how to do this. And, you know, we usually set aside 45 minutes and then it goes on for two hours. And it's mostly around how to, just something as simple as what to do with your hands when you're on camera and you're, you're doing what's called a cowboy shot, which is from the top of your head to just below your groin, right? Mm. Where the gun would be. Gotcha. Uh, what do you do with your hands? Do you put them in your pockets? Do you put them behind you? Do you make a little church and steeple thing like you're praying? I mean, what, do you, what do you do? And there's a very simple thing to do. And you don't even have to hear me tell you what it is. If you watch Entertainment Tonight this evening. You put your thumb or, in your pocket, right? Or no, something. No. What do, you, what do you do? No. Then, then, then what you're about to do is walk the runway as a model. <laughs> when you when you hit your thumb in your pocket, hey, dude. What's or you up? hold something in your hand. I don't know. What do you nope. do? What, what's no. the answer? Here's here's what you do. Take your left hand okay. and just pretend that you're about to uh, uh, go to open the door. So your palm is kind of up in the air. Okay. Put that right in front of your belly button. All right. So your left hand, palm up, and uh, pinky slightly, on my belly button. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Then take your right hand and take your thumb and your middle finger and grab the middle finger of your left hand with your right hand. Ah, okay. I've seen that right? before. Now I get it. Now, that's base. That's home position. So from there, you can also watch 2020. David, uh, David, what's his face? Who's the new anchor for ABC News? He does this all the time. So you that's, that's base. But then when you want to make uh, uh, emphasis on something, let go and push your hands out or point towards the camera slightly. Don't point with your finger, but with your whole hand and then go back to base. You can move to another finger. You can switch hands. You can do whatever you want to do. But the point is it gives you something to do with your hand that looks natural. And if I didn't tell you this, I, you probably wouldn't even notice it when you watch a presenter on television. Now, we're do gonna, now everyone's going to notice it. <laughs> of course, everybody's going to know. That's okay. That's okay. That's what those people were taught when they went to the small market, you know, one of my, one of my, I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but one of my, my guilty pleasures is watching a show on, I think it's true TV called Breaking Greenville. And it's not Greenville in the Carolinas, it's Greenville, Mississippi, which is like market number 220 or something. And it's all of these small markets that have a couple of television stations. That's the proving grounds. That's the that's the farm. That's the farm where the new teams talent that comes. Then go on to the middle markets like Omaha and Kansas City, and then go on to the big markets and maybe on to network. And that's where you learn these things. You learn how to approach the camera. You learn how to work with the camera. You learn how to stand and deliver. You learn all these things in that space, or you learn by taking a broadcast class at a college or whatever. But that's what they're being taught. So it's okay that you know this, but that's what you do. And then from there, just build natural gestures that help you communicate both visually and orally. And part of that is knowing where you're headed and how to get there, but not having this step by step, oh, that brick, I have to step on that brick and step over that crack. And do. You can drive yourself crazy having that much preparation. David, I know that a lot of people listening right now probably are making sales videos. And you mentioned Jeff Walker a number of times. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen a lot of sales videos where you can kind of tell that the person doesn't believe what they are saying. What tips do you want to give to people so that they're more believable? And I know a lot of this comes down to nonverbal kind of stuff. 
Um, I think it's a completely different question to ask. And the question to ask is, should you try to sell something that you don't believe in? And the answer to me is no. Ah, so if because you don't believe in never, it, then you ever, give it away. Ever, ever going to come off as, as believable and as authentic as somebody who actually is into, you know, high life cestas, you know, whatever you're selling, whatever it is, I, I couldn't sell diet pills. If you asked me to, <laughs> I couldn't sell, you know, dating, you know, uh, uh, advice. If you asked me to let Evan Pagan do that, you know, I, I'm just the guy that loves technology so I can sell technology left and right. I love entertainment and performance, both from a work, working perspective as well as an enjoyment and consumption perspective. And I love the crossover between the two. So those are the things, and that's the things that I'm most aware of. I mean, it's funny because you'll go to some of these high-end seminars where they go, find a niche, find a niche that has a need and fill it. I would add to that, find a niche that makes you happy. And makes you feel like you're doing something for yourself and for others. Don't just find the, uh, you know, the college entrance, you know, getting to the right college niche because there's a, you know, there's 50 million college, you know, potential college students and their parents who have money that they want to spend on that. If that doesn't light your boat, if that doesn't light your fire, if that doesn't float your boat, don't do it. Once you do find something, you won't ever have to ask that question of me because you will sound and look authentic because you are authentic. If you're hired as a professional to do this, that's a whole different question. Right. Yeah. And I don't think that's the question. Your voice and your face are going to give you away is what I hear you saying. So yeah, you better believe absolutely. it. You better believe it. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, David, yeah, I know and it's going to come out when you take questions and answers too, because when you come, when they when people start asking questions like, uh, "So, what's the difference between, say, an Ivy League and a near Ivy League?" And if you don't know what near Ivy League means, you know, it's like I, I don't know, but I'll find out. Uh, next question, you know, <laughs> if you don't understand very clearly what you're doing, you're in deep trouble, and that includes what products you're going to sell, how you're going to sell them, how you're going to provide support, how you're going to, you know. Questions and answers are a huge part of making somebody comfortable in buying from you. So you got to know your stuff backwards and forwards, and that means you got to be into it. Well, David, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your insight in today's podcast. I would like to uh, give you an opportunity to tell people where they can discover more about you. Sure. Um, if you want to learn more about my acting, go to IMDb and look me up, uh, David H. Lawrence, XVII. You can also go to davidhlawrencexvii.com if you want to learn more about my acting and what I do on camera and what I do uh, with audiobooks and, and other uh, voiceover stuff. If you want to learn voiceover from me, then go to vo2gogo.com. That's vo, the numeral two, gogo.com. Uh, I teach everything uh, from commercials to narration to animation to the business to the technology of voiceover uh, to help you create a positive and successful and satisfying and profitable voiceover career. And if you need help learning your lines, uh, whether you're an amateur actor, a student, or a professional actor, if you go to the iTunes store and look up rehearsal, you're going to find the very best tool possible. The The URL for that is rehearsaltheapp.com. And I don't know when this is going to air, but we are coming out with a new version of rehearsal called uh, Rehearsal 3 at this point. We may change the name. Uh, currently, it's Rehearsal 2 in the iTunes store. Uh, and it's going to include a whole bunch of new features and benefits that are really going to make your acting career crazy. 
Awesome. David H. Lawrence, the 17th. Thank you so much for all of your insight today. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. Well, I hope you got a lot out of today's interview. I know it was really very, very informative for me. By the way, if there's anything we mentioned in today's podcast and you just didn't catch it all, well, don't worry. We take all those notes for you. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 161. That stands for episode 161. Also, don't miss a future episode of this podcast. If you're new, hit that darn subscribe button. That way you'll never miss all the great content that we've got coming. And I can tell you, we've got an excellent lineup. Don't forget to check out Social Media Success Summit 2015, our online mega conference. Visit smss15.com to grab your early bird tickets. smss15.com. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner.